And we're back, ready to go. How's everybody doing? Doing good? All right, we're going to like it today. We want to welcome all the Facebook family watching us, all those who are watching us by live stream. We're very honored that you are doing so, all of our Elevate family, that uh, we haven't seen you in a while. We love you. We miss you. And we want to encourage you. And also, those of you who uh, are part of our house and you don't know how to give, there should be a giving link down on the bottom of the screen as well. So we're doing um, a series on dreams and visions. And so today, it's going to be about how do you get a dream? How do you design a dream for your life? Anybody want that? Yeah. Right. That's all I need is one person to want that. Okay. So we want to do a message. This whole idea of doing of a dream series is designed to get you moving. So we want to get you moving. Everything's been shut down. Can we get a witness? No, nobody knows anything about a shutdown. Yeah. Right. So those of you even watching at home, you know all about the shutdown. And so we want to encourage you and we want to get you moving. We want to give you something to, to hope for, something to reach for. This is a great opportunity to change things. This is a great opportunity to turn things around. And everything that you've been doing, you can. this is a season of hope. This isn't a season of despair. There's new life that's going to come. There's new life. What happens after winter? What follows winter, anybody? Spring, right? There can be life after this winter. There can be life after this season. So we want to help you get moving. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We, that would be all of us, in Christ. So if you're in Christ, Jesus is working on you. Aren't you glad? Right? The Bible says you are his workmanship. He's working on you. That's good news. (laughs) You're not done. He's not done yet. He's working on you. So you are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. You were created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand in order that you should walk in them. What does that mean? You have a purpose. You're created on purpose with a purpose. You were created for something. You weren't created for nothing. You were also created to live a life of meaning. This is the number one thing that people want is they want a meaningful life. More than anything else, they want their life to matter. They want to feel or sense some, some uh, level of satisfaction or accomplishment that my life just wasn't wasted. Is there anybody that feels that way? If you're human, you feel that way. This is what's called an intrinsic value. It's something that's inside of all of us. All of us have an intrinsic value to live a life of meaning. We have an inward drive to, be, to live a life that's meaningful. Where'd that come from? Well, you were created with it. God created you with it. So I'm going to ask two, we're going to answer two questions. And then I'm going to hopefully, by the grace of God, give you some practical steps on how to design a dream. Yes. Simple. I could do this for a long time. This is, there's a lot to it. And I have to skip parts of it because I'm just trying to give you an outline this morning. Because this is basically a seminar. This isn't even like a, a one-shot deal. It's really tough to do in 40 minutes. But we're going to put my foot, I'm going to put my foot on the gas and see where we go with this. All right? So th- here's the first two questions. Where does meaningless come from? If you want to live a life of meaning, you've got to understand. Meaningless is coming from somewhere. Right? So where is that coming from? meaningfulness comes from somewhere. Where does that come from? And then the third thing we want to talk about is, is just practical steps to design the dream. Ready? This is going to be really encouraging. This is completely anti-culture. This statement, it goes against everything that's ingrained within the culture. 
Meaningless comes from self-centered pursuits. That's where meaningless comes from. You deserve a break today. It's all about you. You know, it's all, our, our culture fills us and inundates us with this idea that we're supposed to, even our constitution, you are supposed to pursue happiness. Nothing wrong with those statements. But when that statement or those pursuits are directed solely upon yourself, it turns into meaninglessness. So if you get married and you get married and you say, well, I'm getting married so that my wife can meet all my needs and I can be happy. Wrong answer. If I get married, you get a woman gets married and says, I'm going to get married because that man is going to satisfy all my needs. It's not going to happen. If you pursue money and say, I'm going to have money just so I can have money. It's empty and meaningless. If you pursue whatever the pursuit is, if I pursue fame or success and the end goal of that fame and success is about me, it always ends in meaninglessness. And the reason is, is because you were not made that way. See, you know, like if I put, if I put diesel in a gas car, how it's not going to run very far, is it? No, some women are like, I guess so. Some dudes, even me, I'm like, I don't know. I put diesel in there. I just gas, right? If you put the wrong kind of fuel in the car, it's not going to run correctly. If you put the wrong type of system in or wrong type of program in the system, it's not going to run correctly. And so what's happening is, what happens with us is that we're trying to pursue things because we all have a hunger to do more, to be more, to reach further, to create something of our lives, but our core motivation is wrong. It's centered on ourselves and we wonder where the meaningless comes from. That's where it's coming from because it's not in, in created in your design. You were not created that way. The Bible says this, where there is envy, jealousy, and where there is self-seeking pursuits, there is confusion in every evil thing. So when it's a self-centered pursuit, there's confusion. Confusion is there. When it's a self-centered pursuit, all kinds of evil, all kinds of crazy stuff exists where there is self-centered pursuits. So next question, where does meaningless come from? Great question, right? So if meaninglessness comes from self-centered pursuits, where does meaningfulness come from? Meaningfulness comes because when we operate according to our design, say with me, I was created to bring my father glory. That's right. You're created to bring your heavenly father glory. That's article one. And then article two, say this, I was created to create the common good. That whatever you do, it brings God glory. And whatever you do, it creates the common good, the benefit of all. Which immediately leads to the question, because this is how dull we are. Well, if all I'm doing is living a life that honors God, and I'm, doing, I'm living a life that no, no matter know what I do, helps other people or brings, it, it creates a common good, then what about me? Right? Where does that come from? The Bible says, seek first what? The kingdom of God and what is right to him. And then what will happen? All things will be added unto you. So who's going to take care of you? Jesus. Seek first what I want. Seek first what is right to me. Oops, I just turned my lights off. Seek first what is, woo, well, strobing. Seek first what is right to me and I'll take care of the rest. So 1 Corinthians says this, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do it in a way that honors him. Do it in a way that is right before him. 
Whether you, whether you, the way you do your relationships, the way you work your job, the way you spend your money and, and, and use your money, the way you uh, uh, interact with your, in, your, in your immediate family, the way you develop yourself and the way you pursue your future, do it in a way that brings glory to God. Isaiah says this, Isaiah chapter 40 says, I will bring my sons from afar and I will bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Happy day. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. Sons and daughters were created for their father's glory. Jesus says, I'm about my father's what? That's right. What is Jesus? Jesus is the divine prototype of the new creation. He's God. Let me be very clear. Are you saying he's not God? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's Christ. He is, he is the anointed one. He is the third per, second person of the Trinity who stepped into time and space, born of a virgin, manifested himself before us, crucified and resurrected, declared to be the son of God through the resurrection of the dead, ascended and seated at the right hand of God. And he's coming back. He is forever in all things God. But he came as man. He came as the last Adam. Do you know why he came as the last Adam? Because the first Adam blew it, Right? The first Adam screwed it all up. And so Christ Jesus came as, as the last Adam. He was called more than any other title. His number one title is the Son of Man. More than any other title, he chose himself. What does that mean? He's chosen to be the divine representation of you. Do you understand that? What kind of king leaves his throne, right? There's a worship song that goes over and over again and just keeps saying, what kind of king leaves his throne? And when you think about that, what kind of king leaves his throne? What kind of king sets aside everything, takes on our identity? We are created by him, for him, and through him. Yet he comes as us that we might come back to him. Who does that? No, Buddha didn't do that. Buddha's not a god. All the gods of men are idols, the Bible says. They're mute. They're worthless. There's one god. His name's Jesus. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the, but he's also, he's not just the fullness of expression of the Father. He is the fullness of expression of the new creation. He's the divine prototype of the new creation. We're to follow who? Who are we following? Jesus, right? In church, anytime I ask a, a, a question, it's always a safe answer to say Jesus, Right? If I say, what color does red and blue make? You go, Jesus, that's a great answer. It's always a winning answer. Jesus is always the winning answer. And so we're created to follow him. We're created to bring him glory. Jesus was about his father's business. In other words, there was this interaction with everything that he did that represented who he was as a son before his father. Was he God eternally? Yes, but he lowered himself. Jesus lowered himself. You understand that? That's why when he's praying in John 16, glorify me with the glory that I had from you from the, fa- from the beginning. Why? Because he intentionally lowered himself. He lowered himself. He set aside his divine attributes, took on the form of a servant, being found in the form of a servant. Right? He set that aside. He set aside his title. Right? Was he fully God? Yes, he's fully. I'm having all these theological arguments in my head. Yes, he's, theolo- he's fully God. You're created for God's glory. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What does that mean? Whatever you do, let people see you and let them go, wow. Wow. Even if they don't understand that you're a believer, let them see something different about your life. Let them see that difficulties don't destroy you. 
Let them see that you have a no-quit attitude and you are determined. Let them see the glory of God and the faith of God and the power of God moving in your life because they don't have it. Nor do they have access to it. Only the believer has access to the power in the kingdom of God. The unbeliever doesn't. So the Bible's telling us that whatever we do to glorify God, and in here's 1 Corinthians 12, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the benefit of all. The argument here would be, Pastor, he's talking about spiritual gifts. I understand he's talking about spiritual gifts. But what he's talking about, if we set spiritual gifts over here and just take this verse by itself, he's talking about the manifestation of the Spirit. The word manifestation is made known. When the Spirit of God is made known through your life, it's for the benefit of all. That's what he's saying. So whatever God is doing through your life, it's for the benefit of other people. It's actually the concept of shalom. Shalom means universal flourishing. Our role as sons and daughters are to be about our father's business, bringing him honor and glory relative to the things that are in our lives. And our our goal as as sons and daughters is to benefit the world. To benefit, and maybe it's your immediate family, maybe it's your one-eyed cat. Right? I got a one-eyed cat that shows up at my doorstep. She's just the sweetest thing, right? One-eyed, little gimpy, right? And we feed her for no particular reason at all. We feed her. What does she do? She does nothing. She does nothing, right? Except stare at us in the morning with one eye, looking at the door, you know, like, I'm here, hi. But just to do it because it's right, just to do it because it's good. See, that's a real simple version. Yeah, but it's the common good. It's something that's good. You're doing something for no other reason but to create the common good. Meaningfulness comes when you do what God purposes for you and you do what he intends. So it doesn't matter what you do. Your job, it doesn't matter. Your family, whatever it is, it's to bring God glory. How can I bring God glory in my job? This is relative to all of us. A, you know what? I can give, I'll tell you how to do it. A, everybody say it with me. Show up on time, Right? B, do your work diligently, right? You're not working for your boss. You're working for Jesus. So the Bible says it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, the work as under, you're working under the Lord. Your boss is not the key to your promotion. Jesus is. And he will look at you. And when you're faithful, he'll say, okay, this is how this whole, this whole thing works. You can glorify God. Your boss will be like, I don't even know. I just want to thank God that you show up on time. I just want to thank God that I have somebody in this company that actually does their job without complaining. (laughs) And if you're an employer, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So it's like, because people just, they feel entitled. They feel selfish. They feel like the job exists for them, right? I've had a couple of really bad customer service experiences, which I will not mention the names recently, but they, I told Sherry, it's as if the the person serving me the coffee thinks that I'm there, there, I'm there for them, right? And the rudeness and the just complete lack of respect that we're being treated with is like, like what? You know, like it's almost, it's like because people have a perspective that, well, I'm here and, uh, you know, you're here for me. So I'm here. You know, they, they, they just have this warped perspective of what customer service. Can anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Is there like, right. Like customer service is like, where is it? I mean, it's just not even there anymore. So nonetheless, meaningfulness comes when we do these things so we can glorify God. I tell my kids this, 
um, Any young people in the room, anybody under the age of 35, you might want to say this with me. Write this down. Okay? You're going to want to write this down. This is going to be, there's a little gold about to come into the room. I tell my kids, you don't have to be exceptional. You only have to be competent. That's what I tell them. You do not have to be exceptional. You merely have to be competent. And do you know why? Because the majority of the world is incompetent. You want to shine? Oh, come on. That's going to get a witness. You don't have to be PhD, Einstein, you know, blowing it out, going to come up with the new theory. All you have to be is competent. And so I teach my children to just be competent. Competence will make you exceptional over the long term. The majority of the world is incompetent. They cannot do basic things. They don't operate according to basic things. So this is the goal. How can you glorify God by being just merely be competent? Just be competent. Designing a dream. All right. Somebody want to design a dream? Somebody want to write this down? (laughs) So I'm going to take you through a little bit of stuff. Okay. I, I look at weird things, but it always comes out really good in the sermons. So, you know, my wife would be like, what are you reading? What, what is, I'm like, I'm reading this, you know. I read all these crazy things, right? That I'm interested in human behavior. I am. I'm interested in why we do what we do. Somebody said, well, it's easy, Kevin. It's sin. I get it. I get it. I get it. But there are other motivations just besides sin. There's something called positive psychology. What causes people to respond in a positive way? That's something that interests me. Right? Being in the people business. So what approach moves people in the direction that they're supposed to move in? Or what approach causes people to reach beyond the negative? And so I read all of these wild things. Uh, (laughs) This comes from the Stanford Center for Adolescent Development, which is interesting. And they say that, uh, which I just was reading how the prolonged adolescence of this generation... Adolescence was like 22, 23, like 30 years ago. That was kind of when adolescence ended. Now they say it's 27. Yeah. So like 30 years ago, people left adolescence and kind of entered adulthood around 22, 23, somewhere in that range. But they're saying and now that, that, that it's called extended adolescence. And so we have a generation that doesn't come out of adolescence until they're 27 years old. I'm not saying that. That's Stanford. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's cultural reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons for that, which we won't get into. But in this study, they did 30 years of positive psychology. And they realized that people advance and, and how people advance in their lives and how people determine what their life is meaningful, how people achieve meaningfulness. And it's very interesting. Not because what they found out was so profound. But what's interesting is that what they found is exactly what the Bible says. Of course, they won't understand that. They don't understand that what they discovered. Oh, my gosh. You know, somebody called, called Pulitzer. Somebody called Nobel. I need a Peace Prize or a Pulitzer for what I just discovered. When it's been in the Bible all along. Right? What they discovered is that people who, who move, advance positively and people who live lives of meaning, how they discovered they boil it down to basically three things. Identity, belief, and motive. People that achieve success have a strong understanding of the person that they are. 
They have a strong knowing of who they are, right? They're not confused. They have a clear understanding about what they believe. They have a system of ethics. They have a system, a, a framework of thinking. That, that's, that's where they are. And then the third one is that they have a clear motive as to why they're doing what they're doing. Most people have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. You know, no clue. Why am I doing this? I don't know. Have no idea. <laughs> and so identity, these are like core things that we preach here at Elevate. Identity, who you are in Christ. That determines everything. You're a son of the highest. You're a daughter of the highest. On purpose with a purpose. Know who you are. Nothing fair about favor. Right? Call to live a high and upward calling in Christ Jesus. Identity. Know who you are. Belief. Having a clear framework about what you think and what you believe. Having a framework actually that relates. The framework is the, me, is the middle ground. The belief was the middle ground. And so the belief system comes into compliance with the identity and the belief system comes into compliance with the motive in other words the belief system is kind of like a a, like something that they change right or something that people adapt so as they discover more identity or more uh purpose or you know motive as to why they're doing what they're doing what they learn is their belief system changes isn't that interesting that the more you discover who you are in christ the more your belief system changes The more you discover what God has for you and the motives of your life and the purpose of your existence, the more your belief system changes, the more your framework of thinking changes. That's 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 amazing. It's exactly what the Bible says. But these guys are confirming it through these these tests and this ongoing research. So they discovered that. So you need to say with me, I need to know my identity. I need to have a framework of thinking that shifts into my identity. And I need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. People can only handle... This is another thing they discovered. People can only handle five major areas without being confused and overwhelmed. It's true. That's crazy, right? We do, we, everything we do here is based around five. Right? And not because we're Stanford research studies. We have radical five. We have f- the five key areas of your life, which we're going to talk about. And it's just typical. Like when they... So if they take... 30 jams, right? So if like they, they do this survey where they put out jellies and they put out 30, 30 jars of jelly. And what they find is people are interested in all these jellies, but nobody buys them because there's too many choices. Then they put out seven jellies and they realize less people are interested, but more people are buying. Then they put out three and they put out five. And so they come up with the optimum number set that the, the highest percentage of people that purchased the jelly was when they had a choice of five or less. And so they figured out that the maximum number psychologically that people, when, anybody ever have like multiple, too many choices and you can't make a decision? Should I wear the purple, the red, the blue, the green, the yellow, the fuchsia, the mauve, which one should, you know? It's like we have to, when there's too many choices, the first thing you have to do is eliminate choices. But they discovered that there are only five major places in a person's life. That's how, that's one of the reasons why you feel overwhelmed is you're dealing with too many things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're overwhelmed because you're not designed or you don't have a capacity emotionally or intellectually to handle more than five things. The best multitasker can handle five things. At the same time, but literally you have five areas of management in your life. And those are the areas that you can effectively 
progress in without being overwhelmed. And so what are those areas? So we, we take it this way because this all comes from the scripture. So faith is assumed, right? So we put them all in F so that they're easy to remember. The five key areas of every person's life, particularly if you're a follower and a son of Jesus, a son or daughter of the highest, they are your faith, your family, your finances, your friendships, and your future. Those are the five key areas of your life that you need to have a dream or a vision for because the rest of your life is spent managing those five things. Can I get a witness? Your faith has to come first. So no matter what I say, we're, we're Christians, right? So we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to develop at our faith. We're supposed to grow from glory to glory. So faith always has to take the, set, the first place. The other ones will shift depending upon the stage of life that you're at. Okay? So all of you, everybody, all of us, we have to have a vision for our faith. We have to have a dream for our faith. We have to become more than we're supposed to be. Why? Because God wants us to be. He wants us to, yes, he wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. That's what we're supposed to do. So we have to have a dream, a vision, even if it's a simplistic plan, even if it's based on the radical five, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to commit and connect to church, I'm going to financially give, and I'm going to live on mission. Even if you just did those five things, your life would grow. You would grow. Your faith would begin to direct. Then maybe you take it to a higher level. I'm going to go through the gospels class. I'm going to go to the school of the prophetic. I'm going to learn. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, you know, there's a whole myriad of things that you can do to increase the capacity and reach and go higher in your faith. I'll give you one. Now, don't get mad at me. My name is Kevin, and I'm your friend, okay? Don't get mad at me. Some of you would go further in your faith if you entered into worship. I'm just telling you. Have you seen this band? No, 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 no. Let me come back. Have you seen the worship that God expresses through this team? Some of you, your faith would grow merely by entering into the presence of God. The atmosphere of your life would change when you would not lean away, but in the atmosphere of worship, you began to lean in and allow the presence of God to begin to manifest upon you and within you. There would be a transformation in you that you couldn't even associate with. Your mind, because it's this Holy Spirit, would be moving in you and reprogramming you in a way at a level that you can't do yourself. And a lot of people, they miss out because they think that worship is just merely the singing of songs. It is the encounter with the living God. It's how the gates are open. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It's how our presence, how we are ushered into his presence and his presence is ushered to us. He is seated. The Bible says enthroned upon the praises of his people. You want to know where the Jesus is? He's enthroned upon his praises, upon your praises. Authority comes in the room. You guys can feel the atmosphere shift when the music begins to play, when the worship begins to lift. The spirit begins to move. The atmosphere shift. The, the throne. The, Jesus is enthroned. Your problems suddenly go away. Do you know why? Because Jesus is in the room and he's in charge. Your problems aren't dictating to you anymore. Because Jesus is in the room and he's in charge. Right? He's enthroned upon the praises of his people. Something happens in us. The presence transfers. That's, that's a simple area of your faith. That if you would commit to that and say, I am going to lift my hands. I am going to lean in. I am going to worship if it kills me. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. (laughs) Take the challenge. 
So those five key areas of your life, your priorities shift depending on the life that you are. So I'm going to give you like basically three stages of life I think that we can all relate to. So let's just say this. If you're single, this would be the level. So like you're going to have a vision or a dream for these areas of your life, but where do you start with? If you're single, you're probably the priorities of your life look like this. Your faith, your friendships, and your finances. That's typically where people that are single are at, right? Your your faith is supposed to be there. So let's just put that one on the table as assumed. Your faith is supposed to be there. Your faith doesn't go to number five. Your faith is always at number one. Typically, people that are single are interested in their friendships, having a good time, seeing the world, getting their Instagram posts up, you know, all that stuff. So typically, they have a vision or their desire, their driving motivations relate to their faith their friendships, and then their finances. What am I going to do for money? I guess I got to figure out a career. And that's, that's a single person, right? So that's how their priorities lay out. This is, this is important here too, because a lot of people feel guilty, particularly if they have a family or if they have young children. Well, God doesn't look at it like that. It's the stage of life that you're in. So somebody that's married with children, their, their life typically looks like this. Their faith, very important. Their family, their finances. And typically, because I've been married with children, it looks like my future and my friendships take the, take the last place, right? Because kids and husband and wife dominate the scene. So that's what it looks like. So if you were going to get a vision, if you're somebody that's married with children, your first vision would be for your faith. Your second vision or your second dream would be what is my family supposed to look like? Your third part, they're probably the third level of priority would be finances. That's always important in a marriage with kids, right? You can't do guitar lessons if you don't have any money, right? Soccer costs money. I mean, everything costs money if you're a kid, right? Or if you have kids, it's like, what? I got to pay how much for that uniform? And how many times is she going to wear it? Once? For 150 bucks? No, sorry. I'm, I'm digressing. I'm doing therapy right now. So anyway. <laughs> so if you're an empty nester and your children are grown or that you no longer have personal responsibility for your children, typically this is what it looks like. That, that group of people, it's their faith. And that group of people is typically wanting their next level of priority is their future. What can I do with the rest of my life? What is the meaningfulness that I can accomplish with the rest of my life? So they're not focused so much. Usually the person who's raised children, you know, they're a little bit more on the, They've already been beat up in the whole financial situation. So they're usually at some level of stability. They may not be where they want, but they're at least at some level of stability. So finances would probably come third and then the other two would be optional. So what I'm trying to show you is that these five areas shift depending on the stage of life that you're at. You cannot expect a single person to act like or to have a vision for their life that looks like somebody who has a family. You cannot expect somebody who has a family to have a vision that looks like somebody who's an empty nester or their kids are grown. Does that make sense? So as you're doing this and you're designing the dream and you're designing, it's really designing thinking and designing the direction of your life. As you're doing this, you got to realize this. You got to, the stage of life that you're in matters. It really does. It matters. I woke up one morning and I go, where have 25 years gone? Right? I've been married for, I've been married for 30 years, but I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, where did my life go? Right? I don't know if you all feel that way. Anybody here? I mean, I know it's therapy session for Pastor Kevin here this morning. But like I woke up and I would tell the Lord, this is just my personal conversation. I'm like, Lord, where did my life go? And you know what he told me? He said, you raised kids for 25 years, Kevin. That's where your life went. 
You know, and it's just like this immediate burden like lifted off of me. Like, what did I expect of you? I expected you to raise your children well, to, to the best of your ability. We don't do it perfectly. I'm going to share this with all the parents out there. There is not a parent of an adult child that will ever lecture you on raising your children. Parents who have adult children, we're just like, hey, all I can tell you, point them at Jesus and do the best you can, Right? It's usually like the 20-something or the 30-something that is the one that's advising all the parents on how to raise their children. Nobody that has adult children is running around giving advice. Not that I know of. (laughs) Can I get a witness? Yes. (laughs) We're like, (laughs) yeah, here's some practical things. (laughs) And then just do the best you can and hold on, hold on. In Jesus' name, hold on. <laughs> Your priorities shift to, depending on the stage of life that you're at. But that's just something God was telling me. And another thing that happens, and this is, again, for people that, you know, typically the points of despair are in the point of, there's a point of despair somewhere along the line in all of these things. And the despair is, is that you feel like you're doing the wrong thing or you feel like you should be doing more. People that actually have adult children, they don't realize the position that they're in. You're in the greatest position you've ever been. You're free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We are free at last. I tell my daughter, it's sports car time for mommy and daddy. It's minivan time for Mariah. She's like, stop saying that, dad. I'm not driving a minivan. <laughs> Your mom and I will be shuffling around the world with scarfs on our neck. Wind in our hair. <laughs> You're at the greatest moment of your life when you have your children are grown. You can live again. Your best years are in front of you. You know why? You're smarter. Hello. You're not going to be as dumb as you were when you were younger because you realize that was dumb. Don't do that again. So you're smarter than you were when you were younger. You're in a different position than you were when you were younger. And you have a different perspective on life than you do when you're younger. The people that have adult children, singles, when you're in a family, look, your job is to raise that family and raise them well. That's your job. Honor the Lord and raise your children well. They're a stewardship and a trust that's been given to you. Feel no guilt about it. Bring them to Jesus. Put them in children's church, expose them to the gospel, do the best that you can in the homes that you have, love your, everybody love each other, everybody forgive each other, demonstrate things within the thing, but don't feel like you're going to be able to do much more because realistically you can't, you can't until they start getting, you know, when they get older, things tend to shift, but usually when they're under middle school, it's, it's really hard to do anything because you're, you're in a lot of, you're in management mode all the time, right? Okay. All right. Anybody out there that understands me? Okay. All right. So, you, so just understand where you are. So designing a dream for each area of these lives. I, your identity has to be reconstructed to the thinking that aligns with... Your, your, your thinking has to be constructed around your identity. And your thinking has to be constructed around your motives. What is the motive? What are you doing and why are you doing it? Who are you? What are you doing? And why are you doing it? So let me just do a couple of myths and then we'll walk through some practical stuff. So here's the myth. This is the myth. This is what discourages people. People say, well, there's only one you. There's only one best you. You have to be the one best you that you can be. That's not true. How do we know this? Because psychologists have studied this. There are many versions of you. Somebody's out there going, I knew it. I knew it. 
(laughs) There are many versions of you. Each one of those versions of you has the ability to be very effective. So there's no one perfect you. That's, That's the first myth that needs to be exposed. The second myth, and this is a big one, there's more, but these are probably the top two, is this, people say it's too late to start. That, who told you that? Did anybody tell you it's too late to start? It's not too late to start. God shows up with Moses. The brother's like 80 years old. Time to start, Moses. What? <laughs> I'm out here in the wilderness, Lord. I mean, what, what do you want me to do? It's time to get up. It's time to go. It's too late to start. The truth is you are where you are. Why don't you say this with, with me? I am where I am. Therefore, I must start from where I am. You are where you are. You only have one choice. You, you, know, you literally have one choice, and it's move forward. People say, no, I have a choice to not, to not change. That's not true. Life will make you change. Life is in constant motion. Life is always shifting and moving. And if you try to stay still, life Pings you around and beats you around and to, it forces you to move. So people say, well, I have, a, I have two options. I can stay as I am or I move forward. No, you literally don't really have the option of staying as you are because life will make you change. Business environments change. Social environments change. Political environments change. Economic environments change. All of these things change, change around you and you cannot stay as you are. You have one choice and it's to move forward. My favorite story of all time, this was a huge lesson to me, and my wife taught it to me. And Jesus, Jesus, so Sherry and the Holy Spirit sound very similar to me sometimes. I don't know if there's any men in the room. And when the Holy Spirit isn't getting through to me, magically, mystically, spiritually, Sherry starts speaking like she's the whole, I'm like, wow, that's, that's uncanny. You sound just like the whole, anyway, sorry. But one of the things that happened, we were, we were in Italy. This is a long time ago when we were younger. And I'm completely clueless. At this point, I'd never been out of the country. She'd been traveling since she's like 15, moving around the world, all this stuff. I'd never been out of the country, so we're newly married. Hey, we're in Milan. Woo, you know? I noticed, two, first thing I noticed, everybody's smoking cigarettes. I walk in Milan, everybody's like, right off the plane, man. A whole, it's like, I was like, wow, these people really like their Marlboros over here, right? I mean, they're really going for it. But the second thing I noticed when we would go to get on the train, I have all my bags. I didn't have any clue where I was. She just cut through the crowd and said, we're going this way. And what something happened, and I share this a lot. Say it with me. The world gets out of the way for the person who knows where they're going. Yeah. Write that down. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) Ingrid's like, yes. So it's like the world will get out of the way from the person who knows where they're going. Why? Because most people don't have any clue where they're going. So I'm getting it. We're going into the train to Milan and I'm standing there with the bags and I'm looking around. I'm clueless. People are banging into me. Boom, boom, boom. Sherry looks at the sign and goes, we're going that way. And so she just starts moving through the crowd. And it's amazing as we kind of move through the crowd, the crowd, the sea of people parted. They got out of the way for the person who knows where they're going. The world will get out of the way. The problem is most people don't know where they're going. So you got to know where you're going. It's too late to start. It's not too late to start. You start where you are. You move forward from where you are. This is one of my favorite verses too. I have a lot of them, but this is a good one. The appetite of the laborer works for him, for it is his hunger that drives him on. Appetite and hunger is a good thing because it drives you, the Bible says. It motivates you. So the question is, is what are you hungry for? What we want to do if you're designing a dream is you want to try to find your core motivations. 
If you want to design a dream, all things assume that whatever you're doing is for the glory of God and to create the benefit of all. So if you have a business, how do I create the benefit of all? Well, you run the best company that you can, but one of the ways you benefit people is by giving them jobs. That creates the common good, doesn't it? Sure does. So if you have a business that you have a business and you're able to employ employees and you're able to create things that, that give other people jobs, you're and God says, Hey, I'm supposed to do a business, well then do the business and creates jobs. That creates the common good. Question that I have for you is what are you hungry for? So you have to realize that your appetite works for you. Your appetite is your servant. What you're hungry for, what you desire is what is going to motivate you. So if you're going to design a dream, you've got to come down and distill it down. That what, are, what do you want? So let's just take it down. Let's look at each area. In my faith, what am I hungry for? What are you hungry for? If you look at your faith, your relationship to Jesus, what are you hungry for? If you look at your family and you look at your, your, your immediate relationships, your, your husband, your wife, your children, what are you hungry for? If you look at your finances, your business, your workplace, all the things that you do that create income for you, what are you hungry for? If you look at your external relationships and the people who influence you, what are you hungry for? When you look at your future and where your life is and where your life should be, what are you hungry for? You will not change until you find your core motivation. You won't. You won't. I want you to say this. If it doesn't matter to me, it won't matter to anyone. Yeah? I'm going to make it even more uncomfortable for you because this is what gets us going. We got to get a little uncomfortable to get moving. Say this. If it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter to Jesus. That's offensive. Are you kidding me? It doesn't matter. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Classic story shared here all the time. One of the elements and one of the lessons from blind Bartimaeus is that his healing didn't matter to Jesus until it mattered to him. Read the story. How many times did he cry out? Jesus kept right on going. You mean to tell me Jesus didn't know there was a blind man sitting there with a rag on his head, on his eyes and a cup in his hand? He cried out. Jesus kept right on going. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus was like, not good enough. Son of David, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Not good enough. Not good enough. When it came from the depth of his heart, when he said, son of David, have mercy on me. When it came with meaning, when it came from within him, what happened? Jesus stopped and he said, bring him to me. And they said, what? Be of good cheer. The master calls. He'd been calling the whole time. And then he asked him, he says, what do you want me to do? You've called me over here. You're calling on me. Now you tell me what you want me to do. Do you know what you want, Bartimaeus? Oh, Lord, look upon me. Have pity on me. Have mercy on me. And you're meaning it from all your heart. And the Holy Spirit shows up and goes, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. I I just want whatever you want for me. What? People don't know what they want. They don't understand their core motivation. They don't understand their core drive. And the Bible clearly teaches us that if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. It's not that he's not, and that that sounds insanely insensitive. How can God be insensitive? God's motivation is to work with you, not work for you. The cross has been, Christ is resurrected. He will not, he has done everything he can to save humanity. He cannot save people unless they give their hearts to him. 
Jesus will allow people to go to hell. Yeah? People will be lost. Doesn't it matter to God that people are lost and going to hell? Yep, it matters a lot to him. That's why he became a man. That's why, that's why he was murdered. That's why he was crucified. That's why he sweated blood. That's why he has stripes on his back. That's why he was publicly executed and naked and ashamed, buried for three days, rose again. That's how much it matters to him. He mortgaged his kingdom to provide a way. But if it doesn't matter to people, if people don't want to get saved, it doesn't matter to Jesus. God wills that none should perish, but all should come to salvation. His will is men come to Christ. His will is that men be born again. But the sad reality is, is that people won't. We think that Jesus saves us by default. He doesn't save you by default. He doesn't. We think that God will manifest our destiny by default. He will not. He will provide for you, but he will not manifest your destiny. You'll have provision, survival, success, significance. You'll have the provision of survival. And a lot of people know exactly what I'm talking about. They're provided for, but they're at the level of survival. Because it doesn't matter to you enough to change. It doesn't matter to you enough to get up and find the motivation to do something more. To partner with him at a higher level. And you can stay there. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. You can stay right there. God will always provide for you. You will have food. You'll have shelter. You'll have basic provisions. You'll live hand to mouth for the rest of your life. You'll be provided for. You don't have to worry. You will not beg for bread. God's sons and daughters will not beg for bread. He'll take care of you. He will. Don't have to worry. He feeds the ravens. He feeds the sparrows. He'll feed you. But if you're a son and daughter in Christ, you're invited unto success. And you're actually invited further unto significance. But the choice is yours. If it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to him. It's just the truth. It's hard to digest. But what that will do, if you get that, it should wake you up. It should wake you up. Wait a second. If this doesn't matter to me, then it's not going to matter to anyone. So this needs to matter to me. What needs to matter? What area of your life are you hungry? What area of your life is there a drive? Where is your hunger? It's working for you. It's working for you. You have to find your motivations. Your driving motivations is what creates change. It creates the longing. It creates to say everything's got to shift. What we look at, that's why I told you last week to do should, what should happen, what could happen, what must happen. So if I look at my finances and say, yeah, I probably should get another job. You're not going to change. If I look at my core motivations and I say, yeah, I probably could get another job. You're not going to change. But when you look at your, your, your job situation and you go, I must get another job. It's incredibly uh, powerful how much you'll change. If you look at your family and you go, you know, I probably should spend some time with my wife. You won't. If you look at your marriage and say, yeah, I probably could spend some time with my wife. You won't. Crickets. But if you look at that circumstance and you say, I must spend time, my relationship matters to me. The health and welfare of my relationship with my wife matters to me. I have to. This isn't an an obligation. This is a must because this matters to me. Then things shift. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't matter to you, it won't shift. You've got to find the must. This is what I'm pushing you towards. The core, the hunger, and the must. That will make you change. So that, so here we again, we're outlining it. Find your hunger, find your must. You got to find the that driving mode. So not just the motivation, but that motivation. If you really want heaven to partner with you, anybody want heaven to partner with you? Right? It's much better when Jesus partners with you. 
okay? Going it alone is a rough go. But when heaven is partnering with you, it's a lot better, okay? That, which means your motivation has to align with his intended purpose. So let's just take some basic areas of our life. So if people say, I want my faith to grow so that I can live my best life now. That's a wrong motivation. I'm going to look right at the camera. I want my faith to grow so I can live my best life now. That is a wrong, wrong, I'm going to say it one more time, wrong motivation. Why? Because the motivation of that, of that statement is directed back to yourself. Do you got that? Anything that comes, which means if I'm going to grow my faith so I can live my best life now, that path is going to lead me to meaninglessness. Why? Because self-centered pursuits, self-indulgent pursuits always lead to meaninglessness. So what is a more meaningful statement? I want my faith to grow so that I can know Jesus and the world can can know Christ and the earth through my life. Now you have a good motivation. I want my faith to grow so that the dynamicness of Jesus could be expressed to others. Heaven is watching that. Boom. You just got his attention. You want want him to look at you? You just got his attention. I want my faith to grow. Here's a good one. So I can fulfill my destiny and bring the kingdom to the earth. You just got his attention. Seek first the kingdom of God. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his desire. So, Lord, I want to grow in my capacity and my faith so that the destiny that you have given to me, the birthright that you have given to me can be manifest and I can build your kingdom and I can restore your kingdom upon the earth or I can release your kingdom upon the earth. You've got his attention. Do you get what I'm trying to tell you? Our our problem is where we're missing the mark is when we put the target out as us. We put a picture of ourselves out and we shoot at that target like, that's what I want. I want to live my best life now. A lot of the books that are written and a lot of the teaching courses that are written are narcissistic. We teach a narcissistic gospel even in the States. It's all about you. What can Jesus do for you today? Is the air too cold? The chair's not comfortable enough? Did you not like the fish tank in 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 the thing? You know, we, we, we're, we're all, we're, we just teach this indulgence. And that's why we have, a, we have people that, where the kingdom doesn't matter. There's no meaningfulness even in their lives. Typically, people fall from church within five to seven years. Typical. Why? Because there's no greater reach for their lives beyond sit here and get narcissistically bathed every Sunday. Just let me bathe you and just indulge you. It's not about that. It's about challenge. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. You have to be challenged. You have to be compelled and drawn unto a higher purpose than yourself. That's why you were made. That's why anything that relates to yourself is meaningless. So let's take marriage. Everybody hold the chair. Hold the chair. Hold on. Say, say, Pastor, I want you to say this with me. Pastor Kevin is my friend. I am your friend. All right? People go, well, I want to get married. Why do you want to get married? Because I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be alone. Wrong motivation. Wrong motivation. I want a better marriage. Why? So that we can both be happy. Wrong motivation. You see that? Are you ever going to be happy? Is that woman really ever truly going to make you fully happy? Is that man ever really truly going to? No, because it, and so if you're looking at him, I'm looking at my wife and say, she's the meaningfulness of all of my happiness. That's going to be meaningless, right? those are wrong motivations. People say, I want to get married, so I don't want to be alone. Why do you want to get married? I don't want to be alone. Oh, good luck with that one. That, that's, that never ends a disaster, does it? Why'd you marry him? Well, I just didn't want to be alone. Okay. Did any of that stand out to you? <laughs> he was Mr. Right Now. I don't know what to tell you. 
But if you want to say this, you say, I want, to, I want a successful marriage. And I want to be married so that the depth of our love, ready, might be fully explored with maturity that comes through restoration and forgiveness in the power of the Spirit. That's what happens in marriage. Yeah. Marriage doesn't make you happy. It makes you holy. Yeah. And it makes you mature. That's what marriage does. And so when you have the motivation that says, I want to, the, to explore love that comes through the maturity of the spirit that, that is demonstrated through a life of restoration and forgiveness. If you don't know the word forgiveness, your marriage isn't lasting. Do I have any married people here this morning that can understand the, the F-bomb forgiveness? It's the ultimate F-bomb. Forgiveness. You say this, I want to be married so that others can be encouraged from our relationship. Beautiful statement. Lord, I want a healthy, dynamic marriage that's never perfect, but it works and operates with forgiveness and love and understanding so that other people can look at us and say, how do you make it work? I want a healthy marriage so that my children could be, have a good witness and good examples and that the experiences that we go through, we could use to help other people in similar situations. Now you have his attention. Those are proper motivations. You get me? We have to realign our thinking. Let's do finances, right? I want money so that I don't have any problems. Wrong motivation. I want money so that no one... We all want this. We're all, we're all down. We're like, yeah. We want money so that nobody can touch me. We want that. We want money so that we can do whatever we want. Those are all human motivations, but they're wrong. The, reason, the Bible tells you what the motive of our money is to be. Deuteronomy 8.18. It's an incredible promise. The Lord your God has... Say this with me. The Lord my God has given me power to create wealth so that I may establish His covenant in the land. Every believer is endowed with a supernatural ability to generate wealth. What does wealth look like? Wealth is relative. Wealth is determined by your perspectives, your goals, your dreams, your hopes, all of that. But the point exists is that you have some means that God has given you through a supernatural endowment to create income. But the purpose of that is not to do it on yourself. The purpose of that is to what? Establish his covenant in the earth. You see the giving dynamic that's associated with that? I'm not giving you money just so that you can have money. I'm giving you money so that you can support the gospel. I'm giving you money because this is how the, the church exists. This is how missions go forth. This is how everything happens. It's through the donations and the gifts and the, and the fulfillment and the faithfulness of God's people. Nothing wrong with it. You should, you should say, I desire this. I just have a guy here today. Uh, he, he comes here and I just told him, make a covenant. It's like, how do I get to another level? I said, you need to make a covenant. So that tithe, I give the offering, but I just, I want to go to this other level. I said, you want to go to the other level? I said, you need to make a covenant with God. You need to strike hands with him. And you because he's created another, he, he has his job, but now he creates a way where money can come to him. But he's trying to get that means, this avenue to grow. And I said, you need to make a covenant. You need to be faithful right now. You need to be faithful and fulfill what is mandated, the tithe and then the offering. And then you need to tell the Lord, strike a level and say, whatever, when I hit this level, I'm going to give X amount above that. Make a covenant with him. And I said, and you'll be shocked at how quickly you get to that level. He just told me this week. He's almost halfway there. Oh. When did, he, when did I talk to him? Three months ago. He's almost halfway where he, where he told God he would start giving. I said, you're going to get there real quick. I said, it's not that God's not going to bless you. The question is, is, will you be faithful on the other side? It's not whether Jesus will do what he said he's going to do. The question is, is will you do what you say you're going to do? 
I had a guy here, he said, I'm believing God for a million dollar business. Million dollar, million dollar contracts. Told me this. Went to, went to lunch with him. He said, what do I do? I told him, make a covenant. I said, give from your personal, tithe and offerings from your personal and begin to tithe from your business and begin to commit your business to the Lord in covenant. He got a $750,000 contract within the first year. Then he got, he was, he was almost close to $3 million within the first two years in contracts. Right. And then he tells me this. I have lunch with him again. He goes, the Lord has told me I no longer have to give. So he told me Yeah, it's what people do. Greed. So you make a covenant with God and God fulfills his end. But these are, this is people. This is people. They, they get to this point and then they can, they cannot be faithful with what they committed to. The issue isn't whether Jesus will be faithful. He will be faithful. The question is, will you? To whom much is given, much is required. Will you be faithful? What do you want? Why do you want it? What are you willing to change to do it? That's a great question. So here it is. A, identify your hunger. B, where are you at in relationship to that? So what does my hunger mean? Pick the five areas that I told you. One of them, almost immediately, you're going to have a driving motivation in one of those areas. I can tell you that right now. You're going to have a driving motivation to get better friends. You're going to have a driving motivation to actually get friends. Somewhere in those five, there is at least one driving motivation for you to discover. One of them is there. So look at the five areas. Begin to ask. It requires work. So people do, oh, it's so much work, pastor. Oh, you mean I have to think? You mean I have to ask the Holy Spirit? You mean I have to meditate and reflect on my life? Oh, it's so much work. Give me Netflix. It's what happens. It's why the majority of people live lives of mediocrity. Mediocrity. Swamped in the mires of mediocrity. Successful, but never reaching the potential or the purpose or the destiny. You have to realize that your destiny is, is, relates to other people. The world needs you to fulfill your destiny. The world, the kingdom needs you to fulfill your destiny. Don't worry, the kingdom is not dependent upon you. Because if you won't fulfill your destiny, Jesus will bring another who will. That happens all the time. But what God is inviting you to is to fulfill your destiny because it's part of the kingdom plan. Identify your hunger. Where are you in relationship? Where you are is where you are. Start where you're at. doesn't matter where you are. Just know where you are, right? Oh, I'm like 10 years behind. Oh, well. Then believe God for an accelerated plan. Identify the barriers. What are your barriers? I'll get you. And here's the, I'm going to give you this one. Say the, I want you to say this with me. <laughs> The biggest barrier is me. That's right. You're, it's not anything external. You are the biggest barrier. You're what? Your excuses, your diligence, your attitude, your belief system, your ignorance, your poor work ethic, your habits, the people you listen to or the people that you allow influ- to influence you and the way that you spend your time. All of those are controllable elements by you. Yet all of those, you can control them. And all of those elements have a direct effect upon your life. You are the biggest problem. I don't like this, Pastor. I don't like this at all. This isn't a happy message. (laughs) It is, if you listen. Change whatever you got to change, man. Give up your excuses. Give up your excuses. I've, I've made it. Sherry hears me say it all the time. I refuse to be negative. I refuse to complain. I have a ton of reasons to complain, but I refuse to complain. I will be grateful with thanksgiving. I will be grateful 
You have to give up your excuses. You have to begin to operate with diligence. You can never solve a problem you're not willing to have. (sighs) Say it with me. I can never solve a problem I'm not willing to have. So if your problem is your attitude, but you keep saying, I don't have an attitude problem, you'll never solve that problem. If you have a diligence problem, but you keep saying, I don't have a diligence problem, don't worry, you'll never solve that problem. You can never solve a problem you're not willing to have. Excuses, I don't have the time. You don't have time, you take it. This is what, it, this is what time looks like. Time, we all get the same thing. You don't make time, you take time. You have to take time. How do you take time? You have to shift your priorities around. You have to begin to shift your priorities around. That's how you take time. I don't have the money. Find it. Find it. You have your income. You have your job, which is your occupation that produces revenue. But then you need to do a lot of people. You need to do a side hustle. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of opportunities to do side hustles. A lot of them. Do you have a phone? Do you have a computer? Do you have a car? I don't want to work extra hours. Well, then you are not hungry enough to get to that point. If your job is static and you cannot move from your job right now or your job cannot produce the revenue that's necessary for you to do what you're hungry for, then you have to find an alternative. You don't have it. There's no other way. There's just isn't no one, any other way. It's interesting. I, I, this is a, not to spend a lot of time. I'm going to end it right here. But immigrants do an amazing thing in this country. I don't know if you guys ever watch, watch immigrants in America. It, pick, pick a continent. It doesn't matter where they come from. They can come from Africa. And within a generation, they're more successful than African-Americans who've lived here their whole lives. They can come from Europe. And within a generation, I just watched a guy who just came from, um, from Russia not even 10 years ago. And he's, and he's made a fortune in real estate. And meanwhile, and he's, and he's in a poor neighborhood in Massachusetts. Meanwhile, there's people that he lives around that have had that opportunity their whole lives but have done nothing with it. There are immigrants that come here from Asia, Latin America, you know, Haiti, wherever. They come here, they understand. Oh, this is going to, everybody hold the chair again. Hold the chair. Hold the chair. Here comes another one. He's going to give us another one, all right? This is important. You have to understand where you are. You have to understand your environment. Context matters. America is not equal, is not, is not economic equality. It's not. Never will be. Never has been. America's economic opportunity. It's not economic equality. It's economic opportunity. See, we have a whole culture that's fighting to get economic equality. It's, it's, it's a losing game. It won't happen. It can't happen. The country's not made that way. What can happen is it's economic opportunity. That's why immigrants come to this country and are able to succeed in a generation because they understand the opportunities that are given to them. Lastly, I know I'm out of time. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I didn't think I had enough information here this morning. God help me. Identify your assets. What do you have that can be put to work? You cannot change most things, but you can change you. Your choices are the greatest thing. Shift your priorities. E, lastly, one of the last, I'm going to do this and I'm going to give you a brief instruction and we're done. Find a model. What does that mean? Find somebody who has done what you want to do and has succeeded at it. I'm going to give you a big word. Again, getting psychological here. I want you to say this. Narrative resonance. In other words, in order for you to have a, a resonance with the story, they have to have similar starting points and they have to be truthful in what they're telling you. So if you're a realtor, 
and you want to you want to be able to do what the, you want to be successful as a realtor. Find the realtor that's done it, that started at the similar standpoint that you did, and has done the and has done certain things. Make sure they're truthful. Yeah. I used to go to these church planning conferences, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I just showed up for Sunday. We had 350 people." I mean, that's not complete. That's not truthful at all. Or you know, I got my real estate license, and as soon as I did, I had three million dollar deals right off the bat. You're like, what? That's not truthful. Those people are not being truthful. So you have to have truthful, you have to find a model of somebody, if you find, whether it's a marriage, whether it's somebody who's done something meaningful, whether it's somebody who contributed greatly to the world, somebody who's raised successful children, whatever it may be, find the model and reverse engineer it. Lastly, this is it, this is it, this is it. How about Habakkuk 2? Write the vision, make it plain upon tables so that they that read it may run with it. For the vision is for an appointed time, but in the end it will speak and will not lie. Though it delays, wait, everybody say, wait for it. All right, because it will surely come and it will not question. So what the Bible is giving you, get a dream, find your hunger, get a dream for one of those areas of your life. Everybody say it with me, write it down. Second thing the Bible tells us is to make it plain. So say it with me, make it plain. That means achievable goals. Third thing it tells us to do is run with it. Say it with me, run with it. That means actionable steps. Steps that actually produce action. And then fourthly, everybody say, over time. That's right. Actionable steps over time. And then lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. All right. Amen. I love you. That was like a fire hose of uh, how to get a dream. So we love you there out there at Elevate 2, but we have to close the service. So we're going to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. May you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. We did it earlier. The offering.